the greatest thing in Michigan is to be a child of God. Amen. Uh, I like the morning bunch because you're usually more awake even than the second service. So <laughs> it's good to have all of us here together this morning. Uh, you know, friendship is the catalyst for every other love and the foundation of every healthy relationship. This week as I was preparing and working on this lesson, I came across a statement in one book that says that lonely people live significantly shorter lives than the general population. In other words, God created us to need and to want each other. We need friends. I need godly friends, you need godly friends. It's one of the reasons why we gather as a church, is so that we can have godly friends that influence us, and hopefully we influence them for good. But I also got thinking about how many people you and I know outside the kingdom who need godly friends. People who need a godly influence in their life, someone who needs a godly word from time to time or a godly direction uh, every once in a while. And I don't know about you, but when it comes to friendships, I think everybody I know has been burned in friendship. I have. I've been betrayed. I've been disappointed in some friendships. But has it been worth it? Absolutely. Absolutely. To have godly friends. Uh, it's my prayer this morning that in the next few moments that you'll catch God's plan and purpose for the friendships that you have in your life and the need to have more than what you have right now. Because the growth of the church and the godly influence that you and I have is carried on by the friendships that we build. But before I get into the lesson, I want to look at some facts that you guys know as well as I do. So I call them three friendship facts. Friendships have a lot of different levels, don't they? I mean, there are friends that we see occasionally, and, and there are friends that to whom we share almost everything with, you know, there's a place for both levels of friendship, you know, deep levels, shallow levels, all the levels in between there. But also another fact is that friendships can change with the seasons of life. And what I mean by that is that we're drawn to people who sometimes face some of the same problems or maybe even have some of the same dreams that you and I have, and we're drawn to them. And finally, third, it came up real quick. I pushed it too hard. The fact is we all need friends. We all need friends. And godly friends are crucial for everybody. It's part of what God's plan is for your life and for mine, is that they be godly friends, that we be one and that we have some. And Jesus played a great value on relationships throughout the word. The Bible records that he spent a lot of time deepening relationships with a few. He didn't seem to be that focused on the crowd, it was that developing that deep relationship with those who he spent time with. 
And the Bible teachings that Jesus record, is recorded for us are filled with all kinds of practical suggestions on how you and I can be a friend and how we can have healthy relationships with other people. There's all kinds of examples. Uh, there's the example of Paul and Barnabas. There's the example of David and Jonathan. But I chose an Old Testament example from the book of Ruth. And I chose that because it's the account of Naomi. And oh, there's my third one. Okay, I knew he'd come up when I punched the next number. All right. All of us know a little bit about Naomi, but I want to just kind of review just real quickly here. Uh, she is a God-knowing woman uh, who was married, who had two sons, who moved off to Moab. Uh, her sons fell in love with Moab women, and they married. And next thing you know, the Bible tells us that her husband died and her sons died. I can't even imagine the loss and the grief that she struggled with on that. But it got to where there wasn't any food, there wasn't any money, there was no certainty of what the future held. And so she decided she was going to go back to Bethlehem to her homeland. On the way, you know, before she goes, she tells her daughter-in-laws, uh, you know, Ruth and uh, Orpah, you, you need to go stay here in Moab and, and you, it's possible you'll meet somebody else and maybe you're young enough that you'll marry again and stuff. And uh, they both refused. Uh, Orpah finally caves in <clears throat> and decides that she'll do what her you know, mother-in-law asked her to do. But uh, Ruth is determined. She's insistent that, you know, no, you know, if you're going back to Bethlehem, you know, I am too. Now, it's interesting that when she goes back to Bethlehem, she finally, you know, met and married Boaz, and they had a son named Obed, who later became the grandfather of King David. But that's more. Let me ask you something about Ruth, though, for a second. Would you like to have friends like her? Or would you like to be a friend like she is to Naomi? Because there are some qualities that comes out in her that really teaches us some keys, I think, uh, to friendship uh, as God intended. That, that healthy, that vital relationship with each other. And I want to start with the key of time. Ruth says, where you go, I'll go. And where you stay, I'll stay. And, and Ruth is willing to commit her life and her time in friendship uh, to her mother-in-law, to Naomi right here. And friendships don't just happen, do they? Uh, friendships are something that are, are developed. It, it takes that time. It's an investment there. Uh, you know, time spent together. Uh, and, and that time creates a memory bank. And, uh, you know, that really and truly there are times when we got to make some withdrawals on those memories. And that strength that we gain from them, those tough times that we come along when we need encouragement. There's my time. Quit covering up your time, Tom. <laughs> time is a priceless gift to give another person. It's one of the most powerful communications that we really do love somebody else besides ourselves. And when we're willing to give up 30 minutes of our time with somebody, we're actually giving up 30 minutes of life uh, 
to that person. And Ruth was willing to sacrifice her entire life agenda for the sake of her friendship that she now has with Naomi here. Now, you have to admit, we live in a quick-fix world. And we often fail to understand and we don't really address the truth that it takes time to build friendships. If you were going to go out this afternoon and develop a friendship with someone you don't now know, it's going to take some investment of time. You're going to have to give them some time. You're going to have to give them some attention. And it's so easy for you and I to fill every time slot in our life, you know, with something other than building or maintaining friendships and one writer put it this way. He said, the waters of life are often difficult to navigate, and true friends are willing to get in the boat and ride out the storm with us. That's one of the reasons why it's important to have godly friends. It is important for everyone that you know to have a godly friend. And for you and I to even have more than what we have. The depth of our friendship depends, you know, upon the investment of time that we can make or that we're willing to make. But another key is risk. Because with all the emotional demands of life, and there are many of them, by the way, the way that God replenishes the drains of our life is through our friendships. A lot of people, they think, well, you know, I'm not going to risk, you know, having close friendships because it doesn't outweigh the rewards. Well, let me tell you something. I disagree with you. It does. Those friends are important to you. I don't know who you have on your mind right now, but those godly friends are extremely important to you. Because every friendship that you and I develop has an element of risk in it if it's going to grow and mature and reach its full potential. Ruth was willing to risk her very future for the sake of her friendship with Naomi. I love that about her. And I love also how the scripture teaches us in John chapter 15 and in verse 13 when it says that greater love has no man than this and to lay down one's life for his friends. When we choose to lay down our life, we automatically take up the chance of being hurt or rejected or betrayed or misunderstood because that's going to happen. It's just part of it. There was a lady that I read in my study who was widely known for her green thumb especially when it came to raising roses because almost every corner of her yard had a rose bush in it on display. And anytime you walked by, you would see her with a pair of work gloves on and she'd be out there working among her roses. Well, one day some friends came by and she went out to show them one particular rose and she reached in to point it out so they could see it and she let out a big ouch because she found the thorn alongside the rose. One of her friends laughingly said, well, why don't you take up growing flowers that are less painful? Her response was this, the beauty of the rose is worth the occasional wound that's inflicted. She learned to handle roses with respect and in such a way that her wounds were very few. 
and our friendships have to be handled the same way. Occasionally, friends are going to hurt you and they're going to wound you, but maybe it'd be wise if we put on some thick emotional gloves when it comes to handling our friendships and our relationships with one another. You know, it's a fatal mistake that oftentimes we make to assign the responsibility of our happiness to our friends. In reality, depending upon a friend to make us happy sets that friend up for failure in the relationship and it positions that friendship for inevitable destruction. I'm going to be happy if you make me happy. No, I'm sorry. That, that's not how happiness works. You know, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8 says that love will cover a multitude of sins and that word cover is kind of interesting because it talks about hiding or, or overlooking the faults. And friendships, as they develop, we know each other's weaknesses that are there, but we choose to love each other anyway. We know we're not strong in every single area, and friendship is always costly, but it's always well worth the cost. Another key to friendship is our transparency. In verse 16, Ruth here offers an amazing display of transparency in her life. She says, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. <coughs> Openness and honesty nourishes friendships. We're all kind of natural, nat, you know, naturally drawn to transparent people. Have you ever noticed who it is that you admire or who you like a lot? It, it's because transparency produces authenticity. Uh, it's there we find where the person is, is authentic with a Matter of fact, one of the most winsome aspects of Jesus himself was the fact that he was so transparent and he lived the most authentic life that was ever lived. He didn't remain aloof, and, and maybe you can discover him. When you look at him and his disciples, I mean, he lived among them. He shared every part of his lives with them. He, he ate together. They prayed together. They ministered together. Uh, they cried together. They laughed together. I, I mean, the picture of Jesus being so authentic and open to those that he spent his time with. It's almost amazing. And when Jesus makes the statement in John chapter 15, he says, No longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus made a deliberate choice to be transparent. To, to modeling friendship at his best. You know, was Jesus ever hurt? Oh, absolutely. Was he ever betrayed? Was he ever rejected by those that he called friends? Absolutely, we find that in Scripture. And yet, even today, he still waits for you and me to walk closer with him, to be transparent. To be authentic with him. Jesus knows that friendships are not only an important source of encouragement, but a valuable source of strength as well. 
And I'm convinced that if we build more relationships and less walls, we could have more friends and we would even be a better friend as well. You know, it's interesting that one of the keys that I came up with on friendship is correction. Naomi told Ruth to return to her homeland, but she refused to go. And instead, the Bible says that she confronted and corrected her mother-in-law. That took some bravery, didn't it? And the results were really dramatic. Verse 18 says, when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she just stopped urging her to go home and enjoyed her being with her. Godly friendships have an element of correction to them because correction brings out that authenticity and it brings health to a, a relationship especially with our friends, because a true friend puts your good above the risk of you being angry or rejecting them when they point out something in your life that needs to be worked on or corrected or a change of direction. In Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6, it says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. If you've ever had a friend try to straighten you out a little bit or, or to point out a flaw in your life or a decision that you're making that's not very wise at all, you know how hard it is for them to say it and also how hard it is for you to accept it, that maybe your decision wasn't the best one after all. Let me tell you something. Silence is telling them you agree with what they're doing. Silence is dangerous. Uh, one guy wrote and said it's like holding a friend's hand, you know, as he walks out closer and closer to the edge of a steep, deadly cliff. That's being silent when you need to say something, when you need to encourage them. So when the warning bell goes off in your mind regarding of what a friend is choosing to do or, or not do, you know, maybe it's a call for you to confront them or at least share with them in love the friendship that you have that this is harmful to you. I read about a family who loved to go camping. And every time they had an opportunity, they would. And so they planned these camping trips, and they would go out to the lake, or they'd go out to the river, and take friends with them sometimes. And on one occasion, they went out to a lake, and uh, you know, as mom would always do in the family, she'd cook a great big breakfast for everybody, and everybody would enjoy the meal from the campfire that mom would make. And all of a sudden, you know, she would disappear, and dad and the kids would do the dishes and clean up. While she went and put her swimsuit on, grabbed her beach towel, and head off to the lake. She'd grab an inner tube and position that beach towel just right and turn around and flop, and she'd float around. This particular lake had a little bit of a current to it, and so while she was floating, not paying a whole lot of attention, she'd go farther and farther and farther. 
Well, too far out there, the boats was going and the skiers were going. And so one of the family members would swim out to her, grab the inner tube and pull her back to the shore, you know, to the safe area. And she would thank them profusely for doing so. Uh, but then as she would lay in that inner tube, she began to float out further and further. Well, after two or three times going out and retrieving mom and bringing her back to safety, one of the boys in the family thought, I got an idea get a rope. The other one went and got a rope. They tied it to the inner tube. They drove a big stake in the ground and tied the rope to it. And mom would float out until she got to the very end of the rope and they would reel her in. <laughs> Confrontation with a friend is like reeling them in when they're flirting with sin and heading straight into the hellish plans of Satan himself. I know confronting somebody's difficult. I know it's not an easy thing to do because it appears, you know, like, oh, well, I know what's right and you're doing wrong. And, and you know, I want to tell you what you're doing wrong and, and you ought to do right like what I'm thinking is right. And, and I know it's hard to do that. But a godly friend will take the risk. Because the outcome is too important. So a loving and caring godly friend. Correction is one of the keys. Uh, one key that we talk about all the time uh, is forgiveness. Uh, it's a spiritual truth. It's a principle that we've been taught all of our life. We've been taught about you know, forgiveness in sermons. We've been taught about it in Bible classes. We've read it ourselves when we're reading in our Bibles and we're encouraged to make it part of our lives. But you know, forgiveness is something a whole lot easier to talk about than to put into practice, isn't it? But if we cannot forgive, we cannot live our Christian lives with integrity. Naomi was Ruth's mother-in-law and after a close examination of the circumstances, you can almost imagine some of the potential conflict that went on in their relationship. I mean, you know, all of a sudden, one of her boys marries one of the local girls. And she's a God-knowing woman. And, well, this new daughter-in-law is God-not-knowing. Uh, there's potential for some conflict there. And yet... They grew to love each other because forgiveness has to be part of a friendship. It's got to be a part of every friendship. And the first step taken in the process of forgiveness is always our responsibility. You say, well, Tom, I don't agree with that. That's all right. You could be wrong. Because when you read your Bible very, very close, you find out that it is our responsibility. When God had Paul write in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13, it says that bearing with one another and forgiving one another, you know, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Now, let me ask you this morning, I, here, the answer is obvious. Has Christ forgiven you? Did he take the first step? 
Yeah. And as he forgave you is how you and I must forgive. We have to take the initiative in forgiving. And not only giving forgiveness, but receiving it when it's necessary. We sometimes really make a mistake in thinking that forgiveness depends upon how I feel or about somebody's rights or, or whether it's justified or a variety of other man-made excuses. But forgiveness is a deliberate choice. It's a chosen attitude. It's a discipline of our own heart and our own will. In fact, forgiveness is a choice that leads to an action that may or may not result in the feeling that we want. I know all of us at one time or another have forgiven someone that we just didn't get the response that we felt like we deserved. I, I love the story about a, a friend of Clara Barton who, if you don't know the name, she's the founder of the American Red Cross, okay? But a friend of hers one time came to her, <clears throat> and years had passed, and said, do you remember, you know, what that one person did to you years ago? And... Clara Barton says, well, I don't think I recall that. And she says, oh, you know, you remember the friend right here, you know. <clears throat> and Clara Barton interrupted her and says, no. No, I remember distinctly deciding to remember it no more. Healthy friendships practice forgiveness. One more key and that's the key of action. There are others that we could add to the list, but Ruth really demonstrated her love for Naomi by her actions, didn't she? Not only did she go with Naomi to Bethlehem, but she worked out in the field for her. And I love the passage over in John 13. Uh, well, let me go back. Did I? Get... Maybe I'll go back. I'll go ahead. No, I think I'll go back. No. <laughs> A passage that I didn't put up here is in 1 John 3, 18, where it says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. The best friendships are created by layers of kind actions. Don't you love it when a friend does something good for you? And they love it when you do something good for them. There's all kinds of friendship levels. We've already talked about that. But, you know, we sometimes establish some rituals or some traditions with our friends. Some of them, you know, we'll go out every week and have lunch together with. And, and some of you set aside a time when you go shopping together with one of your friends. Or maybe you'll plan to have them over for dinner or to go out for dinner. Some go out to a movie once a month. I get, hope they can find a good one. The friendships, though, are rich with memories that are accumulated over time. And sometimes friendships are shown by gifts, you know, uh, when you, uh, gifts, by the way, are really kind of neat because they show that you spent some time and energy for that friend. See, it's not the cost of a gift. It's not even the size of a gift, even though most guys like big boxes, okay? 
But it's the thought behind that gift that says, you know what? They thought about me when they sent that card, when they sent that favorite snack or gave me that phone call for no reason at all. And sometimes, you know, when a friend's life, you just sense there's a need there. Uh, we just need to act on that and just do what we can because when people are hurting, it's hard for them to ask for help. And then there's our words, of course. The words of a friend are filled with acceptance and approval. Paul says, encourage each other and build each other up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11 right there. You know, our friends often become what we've encouraged them to be. And there's a lot of people out there who need our encouragement. Now, I'll put this part in for my wife. Friendships also mean that you listen. And that means more than just giving attention, by the way. It means giving attention with the desire to understand. James says we ought to be quick to listen, slow to speak. See, talking is sharing, but listening is caring. One preacher one time said we need to take a tip from our creator. Ears aren't made to shut, but the mouth is. And that's true. The words of Jesus that are there on the screen, I think, are so perfect for us to conclude with. Because he did say a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I've loved you. That you also love one another. And by this all will know that you're my disciple if you have love for one another. Do our friends know that we're one of his disciples? By the way we live and love and relate to each other? You know, the greatest friend that anyone can have is Jesus Christ. Have you started walking with him yet? Because the closer, the better. And if it's your desire to start that walk with him and we can assist you, we hope that you'll make it known while we as a church stand and sing this song. Will you come?